the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To get a complimentary copy of Dave's book and a complimentary consultation, call 877-GAINS-4-U or MortageFinancial.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land... We unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. And just like that, the border bill is dead. How about it? Welcome. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are underway on a Tuesday. Sixth morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord 2024. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to Steve Loomis, former uh, police union president. He is strongly backing, as are most cops, uh, if not all cops, the current county prosecutor, Mike O'Malley, in the uh, race uh, in Cuyahoga County, obviously. Uh, There is a radical Soros type of prosecutor wannabe named Matthew Ahn running for that spot, wants to take O'Malley out, and then wants to abolish police and abolish prisons and jails. It's, It's a comedy. It would be a comedy if it wasn't so serious. Some people don't know about this. Some people do not know. This is a Democratic primary. It's coming up on March 19th. If you are a Republican, you can't pull a Democrat ballot unless you're willing to surrender your vote on the primary for the Senate between Marino and LaRose and Dolan. So I don't know if I would advise that, but I do strongly advise you supporting in some way, shape, or form the only candidate in that race uh, that is actually doing something about crime in Cleveland. And in Cuyahoga County in general, which, of course, is the prosecutor, Michael O'Malley. So Steve Loomis has got some things to say about that. It'll be at 935 at 1010. You know what day it is. It is Tuesday. That makes it Kersenau Day. Peter Kersenau will be with us on a host of issues at 10 o'clock. So before, between, and after those guests, you that's when you uh, fill the gaps. Hit them where they ain't. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Whatever you want to talk about during those periods will be fine by me. But we do have a border bill to discuss after we pledge allegiance. Hey, Seth. 
Is there a yes? Is there a black pledge of allegiance too? Um, I'll find it. Okay, thank you. I want to make sure that we're giving everybody yes. of every color and every race and every ethnicity their own pledge too, since that appears to be what the National Football League is going to do on Sunday at the Super Bowl. Everybody uh, gets their own anthem. They're going to have a regular anthem. They're going to have a black anthem. I'm waiting for the Latino communities to come out. I'm waiting for the pro-Hamas communities come out to come out and say, where is our Hamas and Arab uh, and Muslim national anthem? Uh, it would only seem to make sense. Why on earth do we have two national anthems? We have more than two races in this country. How do we have only two national anthems? We got the white one and the black one, and everybody else can go to hell. Is that it? Where's the Asian national anthem? Where's the Asian American national anthem? Not every Asian in this country is only Asian. They are Asian American. Many of them, millions of them, Asian Americans. How come they don't get their own anthem? Oh, that just struck me. So if there's a white anthem and a black anthem, I would imagine if there's a white pledge of allegiance, there better be a black pledge. What? Black people don't get to pledge allegiance to this country? They can't do it in their own way? Come on. What's going on around here? All right, we'll do the only Pledge of Allegiance we have now. I'll wait for Seth to either find or write his own Black Pledge of Allegiance. But if you do believe in the glory of this country, and if you are a believer in the equality of this country, and that all races in this country there, there, are equal... There, there, there is. There is a Black Pledge of Allegiance? Yes. Please tell me you're joking. No, also called African American Pledge and Black Family Pledge. I, I totally made that up as we were going. I didn't think such a thing existed. We pledge allegiance to the red, black, and green on our flag, the symbol of our eternal struggle, and to the land we must obtain. One struggle for black love, black freedom, and black self-determination. Uh, there you go. So it's it's a pledge to overthrow the United States of America? Well, I mean, it's just the the black pledge is. Well, I know, but I, the words you just said, the land that we must obtain, sounds to me like they want a battle for the land. They want to overthrow the United States. And this is older. I mean, there's a couple of different sites with this. So, yeah, there is an actual black pledge. How about it? All right, National Football League. Uh, let's do it. What about it? Are we going to do this? How about what about you, Brandon Johnson in uh, in New York, in uh, Chicago? What about you, Eric Adams in New York? What about you, left wing mayors and governors and any events that you do allow the pledge to be spoken? How come they're not doing the black pledge? Uh, wow, I didn't know that was a thing, and that's hilarious that it is. But if you are a believer in the actual nation that says black and white and Hispanic and Asian and European and and, and Icelandic, and I don't care where you come from, if you are an American citizen or if you are living in the glory that is America, uh, that we are all equal and that we all have the same opportunities. If you believe in that, then you should say this pledge with us. If you don't, then take a knee over there next to the other Marxists. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, so let's dive into this now. I started the uh, uh, open with the bill is dead. And it's not, they haven't even had the vote yet, but it's dead because the guy who wrote it, the guy who co-wrote it, represent, or, uh, Senator James Langford, is now not supporting <laughs> He's not supporting it. 
Well, he hasn't come out and actually said, I'm not voting for it, but he was asked to express his support for it. He would not do so. Lead negotiator James Lankford uh, essentially said that um, uh, he's not sure what's going to happen. So he's not sure whether he's going to be able to support his own bill. That's hilarious. Um, Neither is Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, of course, is the Senate minority leader. And he made a shocking announcement after championing championing this thing as it was being written, as it was being uh, comprised and composed and 370 pages of nonsense later. uh, He was all about it, and we're going to pass this, we're going to strengthen the border, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, We're going to fund Ukraine, which, of course, is his top priority, not the border. After all of that uh, posturing, Mitch McConnell made the shocking decision to recommend that Republicans block the advancement of this. Do not send it to the House. The first procedural vote was set for tomorrow. It's unknown if it will even happen now. McConnell said the overwhelming number of Senate Republicans planning to vote against it, either on substance or because they wanted more time for it, uh, is what is leading him to saying, no, we're not doing this. The longtime Republican leader, this is a Breitbart article, has spoken in favor of the deal and did not express any personal hesitations about the legislation to his colleagues, and that means he does actually support it, but he just knows where the, uh, he's reading the tea leaves here. According to Punchbowl, uh, McConnell said the political mood in the country has changed since negotiations began months ago. No, it hasn't. No, they haven't. The political mood is the same. Republicans want to close the border. Democrats don't. Democrats want open borders globalism. That hasn't changed, Mitch. Where the hell do you come up with that? At the time, McConnell and the Democrat leaders agreed to pair foreign aid to Ukraine. Nobody wanted that either except you, and uh, of which McConnell is the Senate's greatest champion with a border compromise. See, this is why I have, and I look, I have so much respect for Hugh Hewitt. But Hugh Hewitt is Mitch McConnell's number one fan, calls him the greatest legislator in, in, in his lifetime. I'm sorry. I do not share that point of view. Mitch McConnell has his priorities all out of whack. And if, if he didn't notice how many, you know, first of all, again, going back to the morning show, um, you know, Hugh has said for, for days and days now that there should be no border bill whatsoever that doesn't include a wall. If you don't have a wall in it, forget it. It's a non-starter. And we're talking about fully funding the wall, not may put some money aside to build a border barrier at some point. No, 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 no. Mandatory must be done. So Mitch, or I mean, uh, Hugh wasn't in favor of this anyway, but Mitch McConnell was. The only reason Mitch McConnell has pulled back now is because he sees the writing on the wall. Again, he's reading the tea leaves and he knows what the numbers look like and it's going to fail and then he will look like a failure. So therefore, he doesn't want it to come to a vote. So he is basically saying, nope, we don't support it now. Lankford is probably in the same same point of view. But the, rea- the reality of the situation is that Republicans want a secure border and they don't want all of the asylum and the amnesty and the pathway to citizenship and the money to Ukraine that comes along with it. They just want to secure the border. Democrats want the opposite. They want an open border. There is no mistaking this. This isn't even up for discussion. This is not any ambiguous uh, point. This is a pure, simple fact of the matter. Democrats want open borders. Republicans don't. So where does that leave us? Democrats, by the way, also overwhelmingly favor sending $60 billion of your tax dollars. You getting paid on Friday? Make sure you note when you see your pay stub and you see all of the withholdings, the little line there that says Volodymyr Zelensky slush fund, because there is money coming out of your check and mine to go to Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine. Democrats love that. Sadly, some Republicans love that, too. 
They have prioritized Ukraine over the American national security, your national security and mine. It's sickening. But those are the things that they support. Democrats used McConnell's shared fervor and and enthusiasm for sending billions of dollars to Ukraine for an open-ended, undefined, um, unending war. Um, They used that. In order to be able to get, uh, you know, this ridiculous, uh, you know, pathway to citizenship thing started, this open borders, we're calling it the um, uh, Invasion Authorization Act to get this thing through. Chuck Schumer was kissing Mitch McConnell's rear end as recently as yesterday, saying, I have never worked more closely with Leader McConnell on any piece of legislation as we did on this. He's praising him. Now McConnell, though, knows the reality of this. Republicans, generally speaking, save for the few like him that are the rhino open borders uh, society, um, are saying, no, not a chance. And so now he has to cover himself and his bases by pulling back. Leaked details of the secretive deal, which McConnell uh, chose uh, Republican lead negotiator James Lankford and other allies uh, for, uh, they denied... They denied that the uh, a bill is dead, but Lankford, who continued championing the deal leading up to last night's Senate Republican conference meeting, would not say after the meeting that he would vote to move forward on the Wednesday vote if uh, uh, that he negotiated himself. He won't even advance his own bill. That lets you know how unpopular this, th- unpopular this thing is. Meanwhile, over on the House side, Mike Johnson continues to say, look, I'm telling you, and I'm, I don't know how many times I can tell you this, we're not doing this. We have no reason to pass a multi-billion dollar monstrosity for something that we already have on the books. Joe Biden can already do this. He has the authority to seal the border if that's what he chooses. He doesn't need to send billions of dollars to Ukraine or or spend billions more dollars on border security that isn't security but is processing illegals into the United States faster. It's unnecessary. This is and Mike Johnson is exactly right. Why won't the Democrats understand? Why won't the media understand that? Here's my message to Senator Schumer. The American people are running the show here. We're the representatives of our constituents. The American people are on our side. They recognize this catastrophe has been disastrous for the country. Every state is a border state and everybody knows it. I've been traveling the country, Laura, since I became Speaker of the House. I've been in 15 different states doing events. It doesn't matter whether I'm out west, in the Midwest, on Long Island, the Deep South, South Florida. The message is the same. It's the number one issue on the hearts and minds of the American people. We have to solve this crisis. And I'm going to make this point again because Senator Schumer isn't listening, apparently. The President of the United States has the authority right now to fix this crisis. He has broad executive authority under the, under the federal statutes, and Chuck Schumer knows it, and President Biden knows it, and they refuse to use that. They could stop this. They could stop the flow immediately, but they don't want to, Laura, and I think you alluded to a few moments ago exactly why that is. They don't want to. They could. Absolutely. Biden knows he has the authority to stop it because he literally clicked his fingers when he took office January 20th of 2021 and started it. He immediately undid everything President Trump had done to secure the border. And we know it. He knows it. He has the authority, if he has the authority to start a flow, he has the authority to stop the flow without needing any bill whatsoever. And yet here they are. News this morning. The White House Tuesday said the bipartisan Senate border bill provides a moment of truth for House Republicans. First of all, it's not even going to reach the House, you dolts. 
declaring that the way in which GOP lawmakers vote will define the legacy of their narrow majority in Congress. This is the defining moment for the Republicans in the House. Your Senate isn't even going to get this thing out. That's number one. Number two, how is this going to be the defining moment when it is unnecessary because of the president's broad executive powers to make these decisions himself? Again, as executed on January 20th of 2021, literally the day he was inaugurated on day one, he uh, ended the border wall construction. He he ended um, the Remain in Mexico policy, stopped deportations. Everything that was supposed to happen uh, and was happening under Trump was, was killed and crushed by Joe Biden. And he knows he has the right to do this. Now, here's the question. Do Republicans know it? Does the only other Republican left in the presidential race not named Donald Trump know it? I'm guessing the answer to that is no. Nikki Haley, who for some reason is still in the race, and I think she should have followed Ron DeSantis's cue when DeSantis decided, because he was the real number one challenger, that this is not going to work, that the path isn't there right now. We shouldn't. We need to get behind and coalesce around the eventual nominee that happens to be Donald Trump. Nikki Haley won't do it. But Nikki Haley is doing much worse than that right now. What is she doing? Nikki Haley is backing the the, uh, border insecurity bill, the Invasion Authorization Act. She's angry with Republicans for daring to not pass this open borders travesty of a bill because, she says, it will help Donald Trump. I still have you, Ambassador. I do want to get your take on this border bill. Um, You know, Donald Trump has famously said that Republicans should be ashamed of themselves. We're we're going to have Senator Lankford with us shortly, uh, who's amazed at the response it's getting and wondering if maybe that could be because Republicans um, might feel that they're in a better position not to have something like this, uh, that it could help Joe Biden and it wouldn't help them. How are you on this? There's two things going on here, and we have to speak hard truths. First of all, everybody's tired of a do-nothing Congress. I mean, can they do anything? Because we've seen nothing out of Republicans or Democrats. They haven't. That's a Democrat right there. That's Nikki Haley Democrat talking, because that's a Democrat talking point. It's always better to do something. There's something bad happening, so do something. When the reality is... For people with reason and common sense, it's better to do nothing than to do something that's bad, something that makes the situation worse. It's better to do nothing. But she wants you to do something, anything. It's a do-nothing Congress. Come on, Congress, get up and do something. That's a total Democrat talking point. That's very, very large as far as Nikki Haley's uh, optics here. Here's more. Inability to get anything done. The second thing is... You can't have Trump sitting there saying, don't do anything until the election. We have a completely open border. He's not saying don't do anything until the election. He's saying don't do a bad thing. And that legislation and that money being spent, those billions, is a bad thing. It's a bad thing for the country in all ways. He didn't say don't do it until the election because he wants it to help himself uh, uh, electorally. He said don't do it because it's a bad thing, and it is a bad thing. And I second what he said. Every single Republican who might vote for this thing should be ashamed of themselves because it's a Democrat dream. America's acting like it's September 10th, and we better remember what September 12th felt like because it only takes one person across that border to create a 9-11 moment. See, this just this explains fundamentally how how upside down Nikki Haley is on this issue. She thinks, or either that or she knows, but it's, you know, she's trying to convince us otherwise by gaslighting us 
that this would actually stop illegals from coming across the border. Did you hear her? Well, you know, people are acting like it's September 10th, but they better remember what it felt like on September 12th, because all it takes is one of these guys to come over here and, and, and commit a terrible terrorist attack like the one we had on September 11th. What are you saying? Because this bill doesn't stop them. This bill guarantees at least 5000 a day. 150000 a month, $1.8 million a year, and that's minimum. And, oh, by the way, those uh, uh, kick-ins of border security after those numbers are reached are up to the discretion of the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, the guy who's currently being impeached for not securing the border. Why are you acting as if we pass the immigrant or the um, Invasion Authorization Act, if we pass this, that it would actually stop a would-be terrorist from coming through? We're not that stupid, and so are you. Neither are you, rather. We need this fix now. We need congressional members to stay in D.C. and not leave until they figure this out. Does that when mean I look this at the measure? Bill, does that mean this measure? Ambassador, I know you said it has warts and some issues like that, but if this is all it's going to be, um, with maybe slight variations, uh, better this than nothing? Well, I think, first of all, we do know what Congress does. When they pass something, then they wipe their hands and say, we already did that. Mm -hmm. If they're going to do this, they need to do it right. The one part I like about this bill is I like that it strengthens the asylum chart, the asylum requirements. That's very important. We haven't had that, and we need that. The part that I don't like about the bill, it doesn't require remain in Mexico, which is very important at keeping them. Which makes this a non-starter from coming on U.S. soil in the first place, and I don't like the 5,000 limit. We don't want anybody to come in. We can't say only... Then why are you castigating your fellow Republicans and saying Congress is a do-nothing Congress? Because they won't support something that you just said at the very end of your conversation with Neil Cavuto is a disaster. Why are you telling them that they should do this and then trying to link Donald Trump to it? It's time to end the primary. This is disqualifying. Nikki Haley's condemnation of Republicans for killing a terrible bill that will create a disaster or an ongoing disaster or a worse disaster because it actually puts it in legislation. It codifies it. Um, it, You know, as far as illegal immigration, that is disqualifying. It is time to end the circus and get behind Trump. Uh, I don't care if he was your first choice or your second or your third choice. He's the only choice right now. Nikki Haley just disqualified herself. All right, 927. Take a time out here, bottom of the hour. We're going to regroup. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about safety and security from criminals, alien or otherwise, uh, on the streets of Cleveland and in Cuyahoga County. We're going to talk to Steve Loomis, police pre- uh, former police union uh, president, about the current prosecutor and the challenger. Gift, enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, it is 9.35. Let's take our attention away from the border and the uh, Invasion Authorization Act for just a few minutes and start talking about what's going on with respect to security in uh, Cleveland and more broadly in Cuyahoga County. There is a prosecutor's race, as you know, a primary that is coming up on March 19th. Uh, The incumbent is Mike O'Malley. He is the uh, Calgary County prosecutor who's been doing a uh, a pretty solid job, I think, by all accounts, uh, regardless of what your political stripes might be. He's a Democrat. He's being challenged by another Democrat. But this one would appear to be a Soros Democrat who has pledged to completely overhaul the prosecutor's office. 
Um, this individual is named Matthew Ahn, A-H-N. He um, essentially doesn't believe in police and doesn't believe in prisons, doesn't believe in jails, doesn't believe in uh, in accountability, and yet somehow he wants to be the prosecutor who would be prosecuting criminals and then holding them accountable. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I spoke with uh, Mike uh, O'Malley last week. Very good conversation. Uh, I want to welcome to the program now a supporter of Mike O'Malley's who uh, is very outspoken in his uh, concern for uh, the crime rate in the city of Cleveland and is even more worried about the prospect of a prosecutor who does not want to do anything about it taking that office. He is the former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, Steve Loomis. Steve, good to have you back on our program. It's been a little bit. How are you? Thanks for having me, Bob. Good morning. You're passionate about this. You have uh, you have a good working relationship and respect for Michael O'Malley. Tell me about it. Uh, the prosecutor's office is outstanding. Um, Mike cares about the victims, which is exactly what he should be caring about. And he has organized the, the, the great people that are around him up there to cater to the families of the victims and and work well with all law enforcement agencies and and bring justice. For these families, um, this on, I have no idea what the hell this guy is talking about. Um, he has no control over bond issues, so that's one of his campaign platforms. So let's get that out there right off the bat. Um, the fact of the matter, but is, he, is but, but the point is, he is a believer in no cash bail. He he's, he yeah. is like so many other you know these really radical left wing prosecutors in some of the most crime ridden districts and jurisdictions in the country. Uh, he believes in just letting people like what just happened in New York. Those uh, the the pack of migrants who just who beat the hell out of two police officers, um, yeah. and then were let out by Alvin Bragg on no cash bail. Now they're in Arizona. I think they just got picked up there. But the point is, that's what Matthew on would believe in. Yeah, absolutely. I got two words for you, Bob. Portland, Oregon. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that that place is in, in, in absolute chaos. It's a state of emergency, and it's because of the prosecutor. He doesn't get to pick and choose what what crimes he's going to uh, prosecute, uh, like like in his, in his campaign literature. No cops in schools. I got news for you. The only reason that I'm a police officer right now is because of the great relationship that we had with the cop in the schoolyard back in the day in seventh grade. Um, that's a true story, and that happens time and time and time again. And you need those police there because security guards aren't going to cut it for the safety of our kids. I'm raising four kids and seven grandkids in this city, and I don't want it to see. I don't want to see it go uh, the way Portland, Seattle, New York City is going right now. We're in good shape, and um, and it's in large uh, part to to Michael Malley and and the great staff that he has surrounded him. So t- tell me about, um, you know, it's going to be difficult. You have been very outspoken uh, about the problems in the city of Cleveland with respect to crime. Uh, you are uh, constantly checking and updating the numbers on the number of homicides, and they continue to break records almost year after year after year. So, um, in other words, things aren't exactly going swimmingly, yet you support the current prosecutor. So I want you to tell anybody who might be looking at that with a side eye uh, how you square that. Well, it's very easy. We have no control over who commits the crimes. Nobody does. Michael Malley doesn't. Steve Loomis doesn't. The Chief Drummond doesn't. We have to respond to those crimes. 
um, because the increase in crime, the, uh, who knows what's causing it, um, but, but it's there. And that's the reality that we have to deal with that Mr. Ahn doesn't seem to realize, that 41 juveniles committed homicides less in 2023. And we're bound over. He's, he's against binding over um, juveniles for any reason whatsoever. That is insanity. I interviewed a 17-year-old, um, foot 2 220-pound juvenile that got bound over for a homicide. Um, that's the reality that we face out here and that all Clevelanders face. And if you don't have somebody that's law and order and fair-minded, and I'm not saying that every single decision that comes out of the prosecutor's office is one that the cops are thrilled about, but the majority of them are, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and if we don't bring enough information to them and they send us back to the chalkboard, then so be it. That's their job is to be able to prosecute successfully these cases. And if, if you don't have somebody even bringing the cases or willing to prosecute those cases, um, then you are going to have Portland, Oregon here in three months and, and, and God help us all when that happens. Uh, you know, I, the arrogance of somebody to just sit there and say, well, I'm going to be the prosecutor, but I'm going to kind of pick and choose. I'm really going to go after these power crimes, whatever, what the hell is a power crime? You know, I'm going to go after these guys, but the people that are kicking in doors and robbing people at gunpoint and shooting at people and killing people, well, you know, we'll give them an ankle monitor, which by the way, Who's monitoring the ankle monitors? In Cuyahoga County, there's 600 people right now on ankle monitors. This this on wants to put everybody in on ankle monitors. 12 sheriff deputies that monitor that. There should be 40 up there. So right now they're overworked. I know Sheriff Patel and, and uh, Executive Sheriff Reese are trying to get more uh, deputies up there for that particular reason. Um, we have to be able to monitor. If you put an ankle monitor on somebody and nobody's watching it, then it's like, you know, writing a piece of paper saying, don't cross the street. You know, if nobody's looking, they're going to cross the street. You know what I mean? Sure. So it's, it's his whole platform is just, um, it, it's void of reality. And, and the reality is, is that uh, law abiding citizens, and, and, and let me tell you, there is every single neighborhood in the city is 99% great people. You know, we're dealing with the, the one percenters, the two percenters that give us a hard time. Um, but 99% great people, and they deserve to be safe in their communities. They deserve to be safe in their homes. They deserve to be able to let their kids out in the front yard playing. You can't do that right now. And, and if there's no consequence for these crimes, like this on fellow is uh, suggesting, then... Um, there's no, and there's no way it's going to get any better. I mean, it's just common sense. I'm not a brain surgeon here, but it's common sense. The fact is, is that um, if these crimes go unchecked, they're going to increase. And we saw, we see that with chase policies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where, where, where do we not have the problems with um, ag robbery, motor vehicles, people sticking a gun in someone's face and stealing a car? You don't have that problem in Parma. Right, because Parma has a has a pretty good chase policy, and they know that there the bad guys know that there's a consequence up there. You know, Lakewood, Strongsville, the, the suburbs have have it under control. You know, as much as they can, 
but they're certainly not putting their hands up in the air and going, oh, my gosh, you know, these are children with um, malnourished brains. Well, it's ridiculous what this guy is saying. And we have examples across the country, New York City, Baltimore, Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, where these prosecutors, these woke prosecutors, um, get involved in this stuff with their ideologies instead of doing their jobs, and everything goes to hell in a handbasket, and very, very quickly, I might add. So we, we don't need that. We, we have to keep in. This is primary, man. This is, this, is, this is it for Mike. So we have to get folks out to vote in the primary. You know, Republicans you know, can send money. To, to the campaign, you know, um, get get up. Yeah, that's what I was talking. That's what I was talking about with uh, when I had uh, Prosecutor O'Malley on, because you know it's yeah. hard to ask a Republican who is very very concerned about trying to beat Sherrod Brown and have to cast a vote in the primary for the Senate race. Not yeah. to mention there are some other things as well, but but specifically to go over and pull a Democrat ballot for this prosecutor's position. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, if you if you believe in law and order and you want somebody who's you know doing a doing a good job um, in terms of you know uh, trying to keep the streets clean and safe for not just people who live in Cuyahoga County but a person like me I'm a Lorain County resident but I work in Cuyahoga County yeah. so I you know I come there all of the time and well, I a- want I want there to be I want there to be some sort of uh, a belief among the one to two percent of the criminal element you're talking about there that if they do something, they are going to be held accountable. They are they're going to be they're going to be jailed. They're going to be held with a cash bond to the extent that a prosecutor, as you pointed out, can can affect that. Uh, and that um, and that they're going to be if, if they're if they're youth, a youth, the chances are very good they're going to be bound over if they commit a big boy crime. They're going to be charged with a big boy charge and they're going to face a big boy jail sentence. I want those things. So that I know that when I or my family are in Cuyahoga County, uh, that there is a better chance that we will be left alone. And I feel like if it is open season on civilians and innocent people because there's a prosecutor in place, Steve, that is not going to bind over juveniles, that is not going to hold people accountable, that doesn't support their uh, uh, you know, cash bond, that doesn't support uh, the prison uh, you know, system or the criminal justice system that believes in ankle monitors and, and therapy and all these other nonsensical things. You ask mm-hmm. me, I think it's a no-brainer. Go ahead and donate some money to the campaign for Michael O'Malley. Yeah, and, and we have to get out there for the, the, the uh, primary. That's, that's the biggest thing. And as Cleveland goes... So does the rest of the county, and then it spreads even farther than that. So it's not just Portland, Oregon that's, that's a mess. It's the surrounding suburbs that are getting worse, if you look at the, at the data for that. So, you, you know, the Cuyahoga County Sheriff, Sheriff Patel and um, Executive Sheriff uh, Reese, put a, a zone cars, uh, a group of guys down in the warehouse district. Because of all the shootings we were having, right? Um, uh, hundreds of guns those guys have taken. And guess what? We haven't had any shootings down in the warehouse district. Thank God. You know, but that just, that is proof positive that if you put the resources and you follow through with the arrest, the cops are going to go out there and make the arrest. But if we have a prosecutor that's not willing to prosecute them or just give them a slap on the wrist or give them, no bond. Uh, we had a ju- we have a problem with judges as well. We have to pay attention to those judicial races because no question. We just had a we just had a judge drop a million dollar bond on a homicide suspect um, defendant indicted defendant 
to $100,000, 10%. So he's out on an ankle monitor. You know, good luck. He's got he's got ties to Jamaica. So good luck getting him back. Um, I, I just can't see, I can't imagine the situation where he's just going to walk in the door and say, yeah, well, let's go. You know, I know I'm risking the rest of my life in jail. It's not going to happen. So we have to watch all so of So, Steve, Steve, let me let me uh, jump in on that part, because you said at the beginning correctly that it's not up to the prosecutor set bond. It's up to the judges, which is why those races matter, too. But there is a collaborative effort there, right? The prosecutor makes his request for a high bond, particularly on a homicide suspect, particularly one with ties to, you know, another country where they might be a flight risk. And then the judge sure. has to take that into consideration. If Matthew Ahn was the prosecutor, there wouldn't even be that argument for a judge. Right, I mean, the, 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 they probably wouldn't even be the hundred thousand dollars. Quite frankly, the ten percent. No, he he'll send his his prosecutor. By the way, we will lose a third, if not more, of the outstanding prosecutors that we have if Michael Malley gets booed out of there, um, and and that would be an absolute travesty. And those ideologies uh, on is going to send his assistant prosecutors in there and say, yeah, just tell them we want an ankle monitor. And, uh, you know, give him a hug and a little pat on the butt and, and let him go. And hopefully they're going to come back to court. Like like all of our uh, folks jumping the border down in, in California and Texas. Well, not Texas so much anymore, but, you know, um, you're, you're putting them on the honor system. They just killed somebody. And you're putting them on the honor system. We've had ankle monitors cut off and homicides committed by people that were supposed to be on ankle monitors. You know, so it's a combination. of You can't ask those sheriffs. To, to watch an, an additional six, seven, eight hundred people, however many people he thinks he's going to put on an ankle monitor, um, when they got 12 guys up there. Yeah. You know, and they're trying to get 40 just to handle the workload that they have right now. And they're getting pushed back on that. And it just makes no sense to me. Law and order has to be the priority in, in the city of Cleveland, in the county of Cuyahoga, in the state of Ohio, and in, in the United States of America. And if it's not, nothing else works and this guy is going to blow this city up and blow this county up um no doubt in my mind and we have the examples from across the country well uh, steve, to show that. steve you're right we do and and that's what i've been saying for a long time too you know people think it can't happen here that's over there it absolutely can and is when you talk about proportionality too you you discuss that all the time in terms of the population rate uh versus uh the number of homicides here you know we're, we're worse than even chicago which is which is a shooting gallery um yeah but you mentioned um if O'Malley loses the the race, uh, you're going to lose a third or more of the prosecutors, the good prosecutors who work under him. Uh, I'm wondering how many cops are going to bail as well. You already have a fleeing force for obvious reasons because of the civilian re- review board and the consent decree and so many other things um, yeah. you know that they have to deal with, and you're 350 under budget. So, of course, they're going to try to make those numbers look better, by the way, by slashing the budget and saying, now we're not that many under but yeah. I'm asking how many more are going to leave when they look at the new prosecutor in such a circumstance who tweeted not that long ago uh, his eight uh, steps to abolition, a world without prisons or police where we can all be safe. And the number one of those eight is defund the police. Number four is free people from jails and prisons. Number three was remove police from schools. I mean... I mean, we're literally talking about somebody who does not support law enforcement. So I'm wondering, how could you be? Would you be? Let me ask you. You're close to retirement anyway. In fact, you could retire. Mm -hmm. Would you want to stay on? 
if that's your prosecutor who doesn't believe that you should even be there, that the, your, your your position should exist? No, I, I, I absolutely wouldn't. And I'll tell you, I, I would become target number one, you know, um, get out of the car two minutes late for work and, and boom, you know, I'm on there. And this guy would prosecute police officers unfairly. We have a city prosecutor right now that's 14-0 that's against uh, prosecuting police officers. And that is unconscionable. If I took 14 cases to trial and lost them, do you think that I would still be a homicide detective or anything? I'd be walking a beat. I'd be walking a beat downtown somewhere. Um, for failure to be able to perform my job. Well, that's what we got going on here. You know, how do you go 14 and 0? And these these are cases that are getting thrown out of court, and they're cases that are getting um, uh, acquitted. You know, the the fact of the matter is is that police work is every man and woman in this job are absolute heroes. Um, they put themselves in these situations and I don't want to get too cornball on it, but you know, they go running into it. And if you have a prosecutor that's willing to, um, prosecute you for assault because, well, the first two punches to the guy with the gun that just shot somebody were justifiable, but the next two punches were punitive. So I'm going to charge you with assault. You know, and then the guy's got to go through it or the gal's got to go through it. And it's just, um, it, it's too much. It's too much. Leave them to do their work and support them in their work. And that's exactly what Michael Malley does. Um, we have resources over in his office that we've never had in my tenure in the in the police department um, with, um, with any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Mason, uh, you know, he did, a, he did a nice job. Tim McGinty, not so much. But we didn't have the resources that we have now as far as law enforcement goes. Um, they have they have prosecutors assigned to specific, Mike has prosecutors assigned to specific jobs. Uh, Brad Myers is in, uh, you know, he knows every gang member in the city better than I do, better than our gang guys do. Um, and he works with those guys. And, and that's what you have here now. And that's what will go away. If you want to do the minimum staffing and the minimum resources, you have to do it as efficiently as possible and not prosecuting um, people or letting them out of jail or putting them on ankle monitors because you feel bad because they can't make their million-dollar bond. They yeah. just killed somebody. I want Mr. Arndt, by the way, to ex- if he could explain to the mother of a three-year-old boy that was killed in his car seat why the 16-year-old that was involved in that shouldn't be bound over as adult. If he can explain that to her, then maybe I'll change my mind. I think that's a fair request, but he's not, well, he's not taking those kind of questions. We've reached out to him numerous times now to bring him on so we can ask him these hard questions. And he, you know, it's going to be an adversarial interview because I am uh, not supportive of his ideas and his, uh, his uh, belief in what justice looks like. But uh, if anybody can get him, Steve, I agree. Somebody needs to ask him to explain those positions. If he's serious about wanting to run and win, then he's going to have to answer those important questions. He, he's but, uh, not. He's serious about appeasing a certain segment of society, and he's not 
operating within the realm of reality. And well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that, I, Steve. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't take for granted that he's not really serious here, because this is the kind of person that George Gascon is—the kind of person that yeah. uh, uh, what's his name in San Francisco got recalled um, uh, uh, was. The, these Soros prosecutors are all over the country, and people didn't take them seriously enough. But he bought. Uh, Soros did. He bought yeah. so many of them their positions, and uh, I would not. Uh, I, w- I would certainly not say he's not a serious candidate. I think well, everybody who is worried about law and order in in uh, Cuyahoga County better be yeah. serious about that guy. Mister Ron has certainly brought Republicans, and uh, you know I deal with Republicans. That's my circle, <clears throat> and they have nothing but love for Michael Malley and support for him. Um, so that's, he's brought the two. That should say something. Odd, yeah. Oddly. Yeah, well, and you know that really should say something. So, but like I yeah. said, it's a tough thing, no question about it, because you can't really, if you're a Republican and you uh, have some primary votes that matter for you on March 19th, you can't really pull the Democrat ballot and vote for O'Malley in this primary. But you should consider donating to his campaign. That's just some advice that I'll give out. Steve Loomis, former president of the CPPA and still a, a Cleveland police detective, very concerned about dot com. Saturdays at noon, Sundays at 5 p.m. on the Word Cleveland. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Alrighty, hour number two is underway. It is seven minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. It's the sixth morning of the second month, which would be the month of division in the year of our Lord twenty twenty four. And you know what it means when it's a Tuesday. It's uh Can you dig it? It's a cursing out day. We can always dig Kersenow days. You always get the best insight and analysis from our friend from the United States Commission on Civil Rights, Cleveland attorney, best-selling author, columnist, sometimes law professor, uh, sometimes radio host, sometimes uh, host of the Kersenow Report as well. Peter Kersenow, welcome back, my friend. Good morning. How are you? Doing great. It's a beautiful day in Cleveland. From my office on the 45th floor of the Key Tower, I can see the Twin Towers of Perry Nuclear Power Plant. And next week... uh, it's uh, the official start of spring because uh, pitchers and catchers report. <laughs> I was going to say, wait a minute. I thought that was like March 21st or something. Uh, but okay, I, I, I can feel you there. And if the Indians were still around, I'd care. Uh, all right. So now, uh, <laughs> sorry, but not really sorry. That's just the way it goes. Um, so, Pete, um, I was supposed to have Larry Elder on yesterday because he uh, wrote a little piece about the... Uh, He's such a flake. He is such a flake. When you say, yeah, would he bug out on you? Well, he is in the middle of those massive storms that knocked power out to a whole Another lot of people excuse. yesterday. <laughs> the guy's got a billion-dollar mansion. He should have it completely fortified against only almost any calamity imaginable. Well, you got to remember that mansion is in California, so you, when you pay the California taxes, you don't have the you don't have the ability to do all those other things. Uh, anyway, he was supposed to come up, but no, literally his power went out, so uh, we couldn't have him on. But he um, was scheduled because he wrote a little piece about how disgusted he is with the fact that the Super Bowl next week was going to feature the uh, Black National Anthem. And uh, being a black man, I thought you might have some perspective on this. I also saw this morning, by the way. And I can't remember where, as I was prepping for the show, but um, 
they have decided to play the black national anthem after the national anthem now, which is a change. It's a departure from whenever they've done this in the past. And the reason why is they want to make sure everybody remains standing for the regular anthem. And then they would be, you know, uh, essentially outing themselves as racists if they sit down when it's time to play the black national anthem. Whereas before, when they played the, the black national anthem first, if people weren't, you know, ready to stand because it wasn't the national anthem yet, it's no big deal. You have a lot of people just, you know, sitting there milling about and drinking and so forth. But now they're going to play it after to make sure that everybody stands for it. I call this the month of division for a reason, and the NFL is a part of that reason. What do you say? Say the NFL is hyper-woke. They have lost tons and tons of revenue because of their wokeism. This is another reason why they lose revenue. I think that uh, Goodell is one of the worst commissioners of any sport. And, um, you know, if, if you know, they, these, a lot of these professional leagues have transcended the United States now. They don't understand that the reason they get to play their games and make ungodly sums of money is because of the protections the United States affords them, and by extension, affords much of the rest of the world. So if they don't care about where they are, or if they think they're going to give primacy to a race as opposed to a nationality, a nation, we are one nation under God, indivisible. And they seem to forget all of that stuff. So if these billionaires and millionaires need to you know, virtue signal this way, let them do it and let them lose their revenue. They, they are driving away fans by doing so. And what are they accomplishing? What are they accomplishing? I, I don't know what they think they're accomplishing, but I say again, Goodell and the entire clown show in New York, they need to be, well, you know, the NFL does whatever they want to do. I, I'm probably alienating a lot of potential clients as a result of what I'm saying, but I don't care. I'm an American first. I hate this kind of crap. Do you know the words to the Black National Anthem? I, who, who knows? Nobody knows. There's about three people who might know it, and I bet you whoever's going to sing it has got to study it ahead of time. But what you're black, joke. aren't you? I mean, so what? You don't I'm pledge? Son of a gun. What a joke that is. What an insult it is. My goodness. I'm an American. Seth, uh, call Elder and tell him we don't need him anymore. Kirsten, I'll cover it. Because <laughs> I kind of feel like that's No, we, what need, we need Larry on. Larry, Larry's, Larry's great. And we don't, you know, now that he is like semi-retired, uh, we don't get enough of him. We need his insights more and more. I mean, don't tell him I said that, though. You know, because uh, <laughs> tell, tell him I said he's a punk. And, uh, you know, he's abandoning uh, conservatism and America. Uh, I will I'll pass that along. Either that or I'll make sure he gets on the air with you and you can tell him yourself. Uh, all right, Pete, uh, let's let's get into the real business uh, at hand now. Um, we've got to talk about uh, the border, the border bill. Uh, most people were calling it, and I think appropriately so, the Invasion Authorization Act, because um, that's exactly what it did. The uh, Democrats had a game they were playing here, which is pass out of the Senate. Um, what they are calling a, a border enforcement bill, which we all know it is not, um, and it's filled with money, $60 billion more dollars. We've already spent over, what, $150 billion, I think, on Ukraine already. I don't know exactly when that well is supposed to run dry. Well, yeah, I do, because uh, they've said um, as long as it takes, however much it takes, there is no end uh, that is defined, and there is no uh, amount that there is a cap on. So if we get to a trillion dollars, that's just the way it goes, and you keep on going. Anyway. Um, 
So they were playing this game past this ridiculous bill out of the Senate, and then when the House Republicans refused to take it up because Speaker Johnson has called it DOA and said he will not bring it for for a House vote, uh, then they can say for the next uh, you know ten months to, until the election or nine months until the election that the Republicans didn't want to secure the border because they wanted to help Donald Trump securing the border. Now by passing this would be a victory for Joe Biden, and this is all they care about is helping Donald Trump. Uh, it turns out it's going to go down in flames before it ever, ever even gets to the um, House because Mitch McConnell and even the Republican author or co-author, James Lankford, have now indicated they will not support it, even though he helped write it. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, my thoughts are, thank goodness. Um, you know, I don't. I thought that Lankford was a better conservative, but when he was the primary person pushing this, he, I just wrote him off completely. Um, I glanced at the bill. By glance, I mean I went through much of the bill. I didn't read it in its entirety, but I gleaned the essential features of it, which you can see almost immediately, and I was stunned and astonished. This was another big switcheroo on the part of the Democrats. Any bill that is supported by Chuck Schumer, by the way, any bill that they say you must vote on a 5,000, well, I can't remember how many pages it was, but you must vote on this monstrosity in one day after reading it or getting it, you know there's a lot of stuff in there that nobody in their right mind should ever support. But nonetheless, I thought Langford was a, a more astute and better conservative than this. I'm glad it finally imploded because this thing was a monstrosity that was, you know, the uh, Cement Democratic Hegemony Forever Act is what it was. It would have allowed untold numbers of immigrants to come into the United States. But the most important thing about it is eventually those individuals would have cemented by virtue of, you know, they say, well, they couldn't, you know, they couldn't vote. Yeah, not right away, but the aim was to get them to vote. But what a lot of people don't understand and what you don't hear from, um, I don't mean to say that, and that sounded condescending, what a lot of people don't understand. I don't mean that. Um, the, the, there hasn't been a dissemination of information to allow people to even know of it, let alone understand, is that Illegal immigrants don't have to vote to shift the electoral landscape radically toward progressives. And we know that's the fact for several reasons. I'll just give you a couple. And this is, this is clearly what the Democrats are all about. And the Republicans are so clueless. It is to their distinct disadvantage to go along with these things. Legal immigrants do not have the ability to vote, although a lot of them vote illegally. A big surprise. But what the emphasis of this is, is when you have right, right now, there's anywhere we don't even know. We think there's been between six to eight million illegal immigrants who've crossed the border since Biden has been in office. Six to eight million. That's the size of, you know, all but maybe a handful of states. They get bust. You're not counting. The, you're, you're not you're not talk, talking about the gotaways, by the way, right? That's just the yeah. number that we are counting. Because when we, you yeah, count the gotaways, we're at around nine. Yeah. So in any event, then they bust them, and they bust them strategically. They want to bust them to places so that, remember, the census counts population <clears throat> and electoral votes and uh, congressional seats are apportioned based on population. So if a million illegal immigrants go to, let me let, just pick a state, any state, let's say it would be Oklahoma, which probably wouldn't happen, but it's Langford State, why not? They go to Oklahoma, that would tip the balance. Oklahoma would have X number of, of um, votes because of the, the amount of population, electoral votes. Uh, let's say it goes to a, a, um, a uh, state like Illinois. 
Illinois would get more electoral votes as a result of having a greater population, and it would tip decidedly Democrat. And that's the aim, to have more Democrat electoral votes and more Democrat representative seats. Because, again, the number of seats is a function of the the, uh, size of the population of that particular state. So it's amazing to me that Republicans would even contemplate signing on to anything that, number one, does palpable damage to the rule of law and the integrity of the United States of America, but number two, that is a grave threat to their own electoral processes. That's why they call it the stupid party. And McConnell, McConnell's not an idiot. McConnell's just completely, the best you can say about McConnell, and by the way, I've got to work with these guys, so, you know, I... To say this is going to be, you know, a, a challenge for me to have to work with these guys. But McConnell, I mean, my goodness, he's not an idiot, but he's doing everything in his power to enhance the electoral process, uh, uh, prospects of Democrats. It is astonishing to watch. And Lankford, Lankford was completely clueless. I was listening to him speak or defend the bill on a couple of shows, and my jaw dropped open. I could not believe someone this clueless could be in Congress. Now, again, i got to work with him. He seems to be a very nice guy, but uh, I'm going to give him the what for if I see him next time I'm up on Capitol Hill. I've got to give him the what for. This is ridiculous. Selling out America because you want to get along with Democrats? Are you kidding me? The Democrats are, you know, they're, they're sitting there smiling, licking their chops, saying, boy, these guys are incredibly stupid, and enhancing the prospects of Democrats in the process, which means a distinct disadvantage to the prospects of ordinary Americans. Yeah, well, that's very well said, <clears throat> and give them the what for. I've never, I don't think I've ever given anybody the what for, but uh, if you tell me how to do it, I will. Well, um, see, that you have to be of a certain age. Your <laughs> listeners who remember the Bowery Boys, the Bowery Boys used to give people the giving somebody the what for was something. The Bowery Boys were like from the 1920s and 30s, and they used to play these uh, little 15 minute vignettes on like uh, I forgot what it was, the different shows, and they were phenomenal. They were hilarious, and they were always giving people the what for. All right, I love that. I've heard of the Bowery Boys, by the way, uh, but uh, never mind dating yourself. You 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 just uh, you just you just <laughs> you hit that one out of the park uh, with respect to that. But Peter, uh, to your actual larger point here, I completely concur, and I want to ask you your opinion about whether or not you think Nikki Haley should stay in this thing no. into South Carolina. Right? You already beat me to it. And the reason Sorry, I Bob, asked I had it, a cup of coffee just before I got on. I, I had a short night, and I had a cup of coffee, so I'm a little bit wired. <laughs> That's all right. I'm glad. I like Wired Pete. Wired Pete is fun, Pete. It's good stuff. Um, so, Peter, um, she said uh, yesterday on Neil Cavuto that she wanted uh, the Congress not to leave uh, before they pass this thing. She wants it passed. She said, because we are looking at the world through a 9-10, a September 10th lens right now, uh, when we should be looking at and remembering what September 12th is like. She said, because people, uh, terrorists, can be coming across that border unless we do something to close it. And so she wanted them to stay and fix and pass this bill. And, and Peter, I'm just so outraged by the fact that she is suggesting somehow, some way, that this particular bill would seal the border. It doesn't. It allows, right in the in the language of it, you know, up to 1.8 million illegal crossings yep. a year. And, and more specifically, it only closes, it only triggers a close of the border if, in the opinion of the Secretary of Homeland Security, it is warranted. Mayorkas. 
Exactly. The man who's being impeached for not securing the border. So, so yeah. she's out here. I think that's disqualifying. And I'm not trying to pick on her, uh, but but I think that's disqualifying. And I think it's time to end the charades now and, and, and get everybody on board and support Trump. Uh, Bob, put your finger close to the dump button, okay? Uh, because <laughs> um, I, I think it's disqualifying. I think it's disqualifying. And I don't think Nikki Haley should be anywhere near the nomination for the GOP. Right now, right now, without this stupid bill that, again, is the Democratic Hegemony Forever Act, Section 12, Title 8, I believe. Somebody go look it up. Section 12, Title 8 of the Immigration Nationality Act. The president has the power right now to shut the border. Trump did it. Biden simply refuses to do it. And this is simply you're, you're talking about You're talking about 212F. Of the Immigration okay. and Nationality Act. That's, I think that is exactly whenever, right. Whenever the president finds that the exactly entry right. of any, yeah, whenever the president finds the entry of any aliens or class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation, not legislation, proclamation, and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens, or as immigrants or non-immigrants, or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem appropriate. He needs nothing from Congress if he really wanted to do, to do this. Precisely right. So Trump was able to secure the border, the most secure border in more than 40 years. Biden comes in, and we have the most insecure border in the history of the United States of America. This is a joke, and Nikki Haley's playing into it, and that's why I'm sorry. I, I don't trust her. Would I vote for her over Biden? Yeah, absolutely, because I'd vote for my dogs over Biden. But my goodness, this is its completely disqualifying. If you hear any candidate, whether it's for the presidency, for Congress, Senate, whatever it may be, talk about supporting this bill it's an immediate disqualifier please write that down write it down everybody who's listening to me if you trust anything i've got to say write that down this is the most ridiculous and insulting bill and criminally dangerous bill for the prospects of the united states of america and americans it would hurt every segment of american society i did the job that um, unfortunately too many congressmen didn't do i didn't read the whole bill didn't read the whole thing. All you got to do is read certain selected portions of it, like 212, and you say, what the heck is going on here? The fact that anybody could even potentially consider this bill is a disqualifier. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, so far, and it's been a very uh, brief period of time, I kind of like the new speaker, Mike Johnson. And I think he's got it right. When he said it's dead on arrival and did not budge, he went up tremendously in my estimation. You know, he's probably going to disappoint at some point, but you cannot have a, uh, you know, a perfect speaker. But right now, I like him. Anybody who's voiced any iota of support for this bill, keep a, an eye on them. I would consider it to be a disqualifier unless they can somehow come up with, unless somehow they, they uh, say, you know, I've come up with a way to wipe out the national debt. But otherwise, what they're doing is egregious damage to the United States of America by supporting this bill. If this thing ever got passed, and I don't think it, it's got a chance at all of being passed, but you never know with Republicans. You have no clue what they're going to do from time to time. They can, all you have to do is give them or um, have MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC say nice things about them. The next thing you know, they may be voting in favor of this bill. So uh, keep an eye on them. Keep pressure on them, making sure this thing goes down in flames. This is one of the worst pieces of legislation of my lifetime. Wow. Very well said. And, and I think uh, deservedly so. Every single word was uh, was earned there. And Peter Kirsten, I will take our time out here. <clears throat> We're going to come back and talk about the man 
who is behind it. Obviously, he didn't write it because I don't think he could write the word Biden and spell it correctly right now. But uh, Joe Biden is still a man that is uh, uh, in charge of all of this. And there are severe questions. There have been for some time about his mental acuity and his cognitive ability. He was talking to a man the other day who has been dead for 30 years, uh, at least so he says. And uh, this is raising questions as to whether or not they can possibly run through this spring and summer and still have him as the uh, the, head, the top of that ticket. So I want to find out whether or not you think Biden will make it to... On your first fill-up, that's promo code GIFT. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, let's continue now at 1033 with our friend Peter Kersenow from the United States Commission on <clears throat> Civil Rights. Peter, this is, uh, this is a gem as we look at uh, what's going what's gonna to decide the fate of this country and maybe this planet in nine months uh, from now. Uh, the man who's currently running the show in this country apparently doesn't know where he is, what age it is, who he's been around, um, and I don't know what else. But um, just listen. People have pled guilty. You know, right, right, right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. It was, in, it was in the south of England. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France, looked at me and said, uh, said, you know, why, why, how, how long are you back for? And I looked at him, and the, and the Chancellor of Germany said, what would you say, Mr. President, if you picked up the paper tomorrow in the London Times, and the London Times said, a thousand people break through the House of Commons, break down the doors, two bobbies are killed in order to stop the election of the Prime Minister, what would you say? I never thought about it from that perspective. What would we say if that happened in another democracy around the world? So much there, Peter. Um, first of all, his confusion over what was actually said in this fan- this fantasy in his own mind. Mitterrand from Germany, I mean France, died in 1996. He said this yeah. is right after he was elected, which would have been in 2020. So, yeah. so he's 24 years people. off. With a conversation he's trying to quote that never took place, he doesn't know what was said. And then, oh, by the way, as he tells his little tale, he tells a lie. He tells a lie about yeah. January sixth because two police officers were not killed. No police officers were killed that day. But right. at any rate, Peter, this is just the latest example of a man whose mind is simply not there anymore. Do you think he actually makes it to November? I don't. Uh, we've talked about this before, and it was my opinion that uh, they can't run him again, and he won't run again. And I always thought that there would be somebody else. And I thought maybe Michelle Obama, although, although I think she's too lazy to do it, uh, but she would be very formidable, not because she's good at anything. She's not very bright. Anybody who's read her, her uh, dissertation at Princeton can tell you that. Uh, and I just don't think she's got the appetite to do it. But uh, nonetheless, the, can you imagine the phalanx the media would form around her, and she would be proclaimed not just the smartest woman in the history of the world, but the kindest, the most pr- 
prescient everything. She would be the, the next, uh, I, well, there would be no one like her ever that ever existed, no human being in the history of the world. And you could not say one negative word about her because if you said the one negative word about her, then you are the worst racist that ever existed on the face of the earth. It would be very, very tough. The media would, would be promoting her presidency like no one else, like they'd never done before for any Democrat in history. So... Um, for a long time, very smart people were saying, no, uh, Biden is going to remain, and it's actually too late. I've talked to some friends of mine, and they are friends who are uh, Democratic operatives, who insisted to me that, no, it's not going to happen. And, and they made very plausible arguments, you know, dealing with the, the calendar and how certain things need to be done uh, for her to be on the ballot in primaries, blah, 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 all these different things. And that now it's too short because you have to already begin contemplating the run for the general election by now because that's the cycle we're in these days. Uh, but then yesterday, you may have seen, uh, I was just walking past the television. I saw Newt Gingrich finally change his mind and say that he thought that um, Biden is not going to be the nominee. It's going to be someone else. And, you know, who knows who it could be? Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama, I don't know. But uh, this person cannot run. You look at his approval ratings, which are the lowest in – some of them are the lowest in history. No one has ever gotten re-election with the kind of numbers he has. Right track, wrong, wrong track numbers are astonishing. I've never seen numbers that bad. Um, I think the, the wrong track now is 73%. 73 that's, – that's incredible. You cannot win – when you have wrong track numbers of 73% and uh, all the other things that are going on, you know, we can go through the litany of all the things that have gone wrong in this country. Um, there is, you know, I just uh, wrote an article that I'll probably be submitting to some publication uh, sometime later today about, uh, you know, there's this recurring, and I wrote one for, uh, I think it was National Review just a, a few months ago about the decline in support for Democrats among blacks, that's something that's perennial, but Republicans never really are able to seize upon it. So I'm always very, very skeptical that the black vote is going to be anything but, uh, you know, 90% support for Democrats. But right now, if you look at the polling, it's the worst polling for Democrats among blacks ever, at least in my lifetime. Never seen anything like that. Um, they can't continue to do something like that. So that's one of the reasons why I maintain, you know, they, they try to deride this, replacement theory issue, they deride it because that's precisely what's going on right now. Democrats are freaked about the prospect of maybe having less than a robust black turnout or maybe even a diminution of the percentage of blacks supporting them. And so they need to be replaced by another cohort. And lo and behold, uh, you know, I, I can't remember who it was, but there have been a couple of studies showing how recent immigrants vote. Now, that is legal immigrants, and illegal immigrants are probably more of a progressive cohort than legal immigrants are. But nonetheless, 62% of legal immigrants who vote vote for Democrats, only 25% for the GOP. So that is the replacement cohort that's coming in in case, you know, blacks drop off in terms of voting or percentages or, or in volume. So um, this is what's going on in the country today. Open borders are there for a political reason. It's damaging the United States egregiously. Biden can't run again. There's no way in the world they're going to prop him up to run. I, I, I'd be stunned. I mean, you know, when I say no way in the world, I'm exaggerating slightly. I mean, it could happen. Um, but my goodness, right now, I guarantee you, as we speak, the smart folks in the Democratic Party are huddling and trying to figure out the exit strategy for Biden and who they can substitute without alienating people who might be in favor of Biden. Uh, but they've got to do it in a way that doesn't completely disrupt the electoral landscape. That's a tough thing to do, especially at this stage, because we are, as my Democratic friends have said, we are 
deep into the election cycle already, even though we're still in the primary season. They are, they are gathering money for the general election cycle. They're coming up with, with uh, campaign strategies. They're doing all the things necessary, trying to line up endorsements, trying to line up governors and congressmen and all that good stuff. So they've got to do it relatively quickly. And uh, who knows who it could be? I, I don't know. That's going to be the speculation. If it's Michelle Obama, I think we have uh, a major problem on our hands. I don't mean to be the voice of gloom and doom, but uh, every member of your audience has seen the way this media has engaged in hagiography about the Obamas and Democrats generally and how they will impugn the integrity of any, if, um, I don't know, you think of the, I won't use Jesus Christ, but think of the person with the greatest integrity in the world who has won two world wars, who's done any, everything in the world, and if he's a Republican, the, Democrats, the, the Democratic media, which is 90% of the media, would say this guy's the Antichrist. So that's what's, what we're up against. And uh, I think... Biden cannot win. Trump, all the polls show Trump would trounce him. But if you put somebody else in there, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm very- yeah, um, I just did a, a lengthy interview with a filmmaker and author named Joel Gilbert, who wrote and uh, made a documentary called Michelle Obama 2024. He's been predicting since last year that this is a foregone conclusion that this is going to happen, she will be the candidate, and she will indeed be as formidable as you say, because she is the most popular um, woman in the world. She is popular among the black community, even though she has spent her entire life running from the black community. And and the, the details, he did some serious research, he went into every single facet of her younger life, talked to her former teachers, talked to her former friends, talked to her, uh, uh, you know, every, everybody that has ever known her. Uh, she has tried so hard to get away from black people uh, in her life. Um, and uh, and yet she's extraordinarily popular there. And then, of course, there is the element of the glass ceiling uh, where, you know, Hillary almost got it done in 2016. So females are going to be there. And let's be real. Um, Donald Trump is a name caller. Donald Trump likes to belittle his opponents as a way of propping himself up. He does it to primary uh, opponents, and he certainly does it to, uh, you know, his general election opponents. And how can he do that with a Michelle Obama? You criticize her in any way, shape, or form. It is ultimate, the ultimate form of racism and misogyny. How dare you speak that way about a black woman? So it's going to be yep. very, very hard for him to actually run a campaign against her in which he is critical of her and of her still popular former uh, president husband. Right. I, I agree with all that entirely. She would be very formidable, mainly because the media would lie, cheat, and steal to make sure that she gets over the, the finish line. And they, and I, and I mean that, lie, cheat, and steal. I really do. I do, too. And remember, the thing that uh, disqualified Michelle Obama for me, among other things, I don't think she's capable to do the job. I think she's so far to the left, it's ridiculous. But she made one statement, one statement that just kind of, it, it sounded like a nuclear bomb going off in my head. And I bet you for many of your listeners, if I know them, and you may remember when um, uh, shortly after uh, Obama got elected, she made the statement that this was the first time in her lifetime that she was proud of her country. Yeah. Remember that? I do, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a um, shot, that was a shot around the country. I mean, really, I mean, yeah. That, that was astonishing to me astonishing this person has been privileged at every single stage of her life because she's an american because of she got into princeton because of america she could have gotten into heck, collinwood high school if it wasn't for uh you know getting some kind of preference but she says this is the first time in her lifetime that she's proud to be an american the greatest country in the history of the world and she purports to want to lead it 
Sorry, I'm sorry. I, that, that's a disqualifier for me. Um, I know that there's a, a, a large cohort of people who love her to death. Do not count me as one of them, and I will stand alone if necessary saying, no way. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was coughing a little bit. I had to mute my microphone. My apologies. My apologies. Uh, Peter, I, I wanted to play something for you. Um, when you said that, and you correctly pointed out when she made that remark about the first time she's ever been proud of her country, how dare you say such a thing? And she, you know, uh, and, and Barack Obama denigrated the country so much to the point where he ran on fundamental transformation. I'm going to fundamentally change this country. So he didn't think very much of it. I'm, I want you to keep that in mind when you hear this six-second clip of Donald Trump, because the left is freaking out over this online. How dare he say this? Oops, I'm sorry. It's having a little bit of a tech problem here. My apologies. Here it is. It's just, it's so... Pa- Missed it. I ask you... The country is just... It's so pathetic. And you know, other countries are watching this. I ask you... The country is just... It's so pathetic. And you know, other countries are watching this. Okay, uh, it's on a loop there, apparently. He uh, described in an interview the country as being, this is on Newsmax, the country is pathetic, the United States is pathetic. The left is making hay with this online in all of the opinion forums uh, and platforms, Peter, and they're saying, how can this guy possibly want to be our president? He doesn't think anything of the country. He thinks it's pathetic. Um, How do you respond to those clips? I respond that he's correct. And the left is being disingenuous, meaning they're lying, which is which, which is meaning that they're being consistent. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, everybody listening to this show knows precisely what Donald Trump meant. Under Joe Biden, everything, everything that a president could remotely have any kind of influence upon has gotten worse. We have significant numbers of people in the United States of America who don't want to join the military. The most uh, significant cohort represented in the military, white males, are no longer joining the military. There's a, there's a lot of reasons for that, and Bob, we could have a, an entire show on that, but a lot of it has to do with this wokeism that's going on that Biden and his uh, cohort have imposed upon the military. You look at the economy. They try to say the economy is great. If you own stocks or if you're very wealthy, it seems to be going pretty well. But if you are, and I'm in a labor and employment lawyer, if you deal with the rank-and-file folks, they're going, where's, where's my paycheck going? Inflation is killing them, and it's the inflation that, that wealthy or fairly well-to-do people don't see necessarily. It's the everyday stuff, gas prices, grocery prices, everybody sees it, who you know, is on an income that doesn't permit them a whole lot of luxury, which is 90% of Americans. But uh, the media, of course, are they're Democrats, as we all know, they don't report these things. Immigration out of control, crime out of control, virtually everything that a president could even tangentially affect, either because he has a bully pulpit or he has direct statutory authority to do so, has gotten worse. It is pathetic. This is not the country, the robust, patriotic country that many of us remember from our childhood and all the way up to through the, the Trump administration. Yeah, there's some little pits and dips here and there. But in the main, we're proud of the country. As opposed to Michelle Obama, I've always been proud of the country, even with a Biden. I'm sometimes perplexed about the country that they would vote for somebody like a Biden. But that's what what Trump is talking about. When you hear some other individuals say that the country is pathetic, 
it comes from a reservoir of hate and a, and a feeling that the country is the font of all ills in the world. It's usually something that is um, a product of multiculturalism, putting your little tribe ahead of the interests of the United States of America as a whole. That's the province of the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party, and definitely not Donald Trump. He is the author of MAGA, Make America Great Again. He loves the country. Look, I, I'm not being a show for Donald Trump. He's got a lot of faults, but I was, and I was, uh, you and I both had significant reservations about him before he ran the first time, and then got on board because he became the the uh, nominee. And we still had problems with him from time to time as president. But my goodness, I'll speak for myself. I consider him the greatest president of my lifetime. Going to vote for him again. When he says it's pathetic, it's because he wants to make the country great again. Yeah, my response to that, by the way, on Twitter was very simple. In its current form, under its current leadership, how is he wrong? It is pathetic. And for all of the reasons you just laid out, and and, and some of them that we didn't get to, which, of course, is crime. Um, I just had a conversation before you came on with Steve Loomis. We were talking about the Cuyahoga County Prosecutor's race and how important it is to get Mike O'Malley reelected against a Soros uh, challenger, Soros-funded challenger named Matthew Ahn. But we were talking about the extraordinary crime rates in the cities uh, across this country, almost all of them big blue cities. Yep. and and how we refuse to hold people accountable anymore. I mean, this country is what Donald Trump used to call when he was president, referring to third world countries as s-holes. This country has become an s-hole in many regards, including crime. So let me ask you about that. When you see, for example, in New York City, Peter, we'll kind of go back to the first topic of the day today, which was the the immigration bill or the uh, I'm sorry, the Invasion Authorization Act, but. Um, when you see those migrants beat the hell out of two police officers in the streets in Manhattan, and then they are released immediately with no bail, and then they just flee the state. They, I, I guess they've been picked up in Arizona, some of them anyway, so we'll see where that goes. But the point is, when you see that happening, and the man who made that decision, Alvin Bragg, is the same man who is pushing that ridiculous prosecution against Donald Trump in, right. in, one, of the, in one of the lawfare uh, cases. But but so so illegal immigrants beat up cops on video and get released. Donald Trump continues to face these ridiculous scurrilous charges. Oh, by the way, and Danny Penny, the Marine who saved yep. a bunch of people in uh, on, a, on a on a subway car, he's also facing murder trial uh, in that state. So in other words, the two tiered system of justice is a system of injustice and crime is rampant in this state. Of course, Donald Trump is right when he says this country is pathetic, the way it's being run right now. Alvin Bragg is just one example of that. You've got prosecutors, Soros-funded prosecutors, in in a number of major cities across the country. We're, we're talking about over a dozen. And this is the kind of thing you're seeing over and over again. This is not rocket science. You know that when you have this kind of... Look, criminals, that's their business. They're criminals. They get it when you're soft on crime, when there's not the, the effect of policing, or when people get out of, out of uh, jail without any kind of bail or anything of that. They know these things. That's what they do. That's their job. And they engage in even greater crime. And you see it in Chicago. You see it in San Francisco. You see it in a lot of places where they were talking about defund the police. One of the stupidest slogans, maybe the stupidest we've ever heard in the history of the United States of America, all of us who've been around for more than 10 seconds knew it was going to happen, and it's happening. And now they, they express surprise and astonishment that this is happening. Well, you get what you vote for. New York voted for Alvin Bragg, a major league demagogue and an idiot, and this is what they get. 
People are getting killed. People are getting hurt. And nobody wants to go to New York anymore except for illegal immigrants. And they're paying through the nose because of that. So you've got uh, this is when, when you talk about Donald Trump saying it's pathetic. He's being charitable. What's going on in Democrat-run jurisdictions? It's more. Than, it, it, this, it, this is astonishing. I, I can't even contain myself anymore. And I apologize to your listeners for this. This should be infuriating. This should be. It, it, you got to be, as they said, mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. This is the, the United States of America. A lot of people fought and died to make this the greatest nation in the history of the world. And these soft little punks in these various positions, like the prosecutor's office in New York and elsewhere, they're destroying the legacy of the brave men and women who put their lives on the line to make this a great nation. I'm not going to be charitable toward these folks. I'm not at all. I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to engage in any violence. I'm not even going to spit on them, even though I'm going to be very, very, very tempted to do so if I'm ever around them. But I'm going to give them the what for. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And everybody needs to do so. There it is again. I love that. And no, I, I completely concur. And and the hypocrisy is just so uh, so thick. It's it, it's very, very painful. It's hard to, like you said, I won't spit on them either, but I may spit near them. Um, uh, Peter, last thing, staying on the migrant thing in that case that I just talked about, uh, or not specifically the case of the attacks on the cops, but the migrants in New York City. Um, New York has just pledged $53 million to give a bunch of, well, thousands of illegal aliens who have made their way up there, um, credit cards, prepaid credit cards, so they can buy food that's a little more to their liking. You see, these people are being housed and fed and given medical care and given uh, clothing and and all of the needs that they possibly have as they uh, broke into this country illegally. They're having all of those needs met by the taxpayers in New York, uh, subsidized in part by, by the federal tax dollars as well, no question. Um, but they're not happy with the kind of food that they're being given. They're given three meals a day, free, and they're not happy with those meals because they want more of their native dishes, apparently. Uh, and so the solution to that is to give them all money. Here's some here's some spending cash. We're already paying for your lives and your existence here, but here's some spending cash. This way you can order whatever food that you want. Peter, I don't know about you, but I'm trying to think of the number of how many um, – homeless veterans there are in this country and yep. i focus on the veterans because you know these people are oftentimes unemployable because of their ptsd and their mental health and 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 i'm wondering how many meals 53 million dollars could buy those folks and i wonder if they yep. would complain about the cuisine that was given to them yeah these democrats care about everybody except real americans hey um their most loyal constituency black Americans who are being replaced by these immigrants, as I indicated before, and I can give you tons of stats that show why that's going to be the case. It's going to happen. And as I said, I'll be having an article out in a couple of days about that. But during this period of time, while they're giving money to illegal immigrants, 59% of illegal immigrants get some kind of welfare benefit. They've caused wages to decline over a period of 40 years by 9%. Relative wages, what they would have been but for competition from illegal immigration, which will work at a lower rate. Employment rates decline by 7 points because illegal immigrants, you know, working at a lower wage rate, get more of those jobs. Illegal immigrants will be a net grain. Each illegal immigrant is a net drain on the public fisc of, I believe it was $68,000. They cost 42 billion a year. And on top of that, in the educational sphere, our educational system, we, we, we moan about how the educational system is so bad right now and kids aren't learning to read or anything else like that. They cost 69 
billion dollars a year to educate. $69 billion. There are 4 million illegal aliens in, um, in schools. And my goodness, our kids aren't being educated. So if you hear a Republican say, and I doubt you're going to hear it after Lankford got spanked, but if you hear anybody, a Democrat, independent Republican, say anything about how we have to regularize illegal aliens, that person is a traitor to the interests of the United States of America. We have a very wide open border if you come in the right way, the right way. You don't get to sneak across the southern border, even with Democrat help, and then take advantage of all the gifts that America has to offer. That's exactly right. Peter Kersenow, very well said, as always. I'm so glad you had that extra cup of coffee or whatever it was this morning, because you were fired up this morning. Great stuff, as <laughs> always. Peter, thank you, my friend. I always appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Take care, Bob. That's Kersenow. It's 1056. We'll take our time out here at the top of the hour uh, on Always Right Radio. The next half hour, next 45 minutes or so, is uh, is wide open. This is your opportunity. What do you want to say about the border bill or about anything else? 216-9010. Plus members, this is our chance to connect like never before. Go to PragerTopia.com or click the banner at DennisPrager.com. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, seven minutes after 11 o'clock, and hour number three is underway. It is the sixth morning of the second month, the month of division in the year of our Lord 2024. Appreciate you being with us. We've got a lot of uh, great stuff to talk about. Well, let me rephrase. A lot of it's bad stuff, but it's for, uh, great talking points, things that we can discuss. Great stuff from Peter Kirstenau, great stuff we heard earlier on from Steve Loomis as well. If you want to talk about anything that we have already discussed, we'll do it in this final hour of the broadcast at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. But we will also uh, take your unspoken thoughts, things that we have not yet brought up. If you want to do it, we'll kind of make it a bit of a free-for-all last hour. Except for the fact that I want to play a clip for you <clears throat> from... Um, the TV interview I did with uh, Joel Gilbert uh, that started, let's see, this dropped yesterday, in fact, and uh, it was playing again this morning on my Strictly Speaking television show. If you have not yet uh, found that show, it's on Fast Channels. Uh, Fast stands for free ad-supported uh, uh, television. Three Fast Channels. In other words, you don't have to subscribe to watch these shows. Each and every day they air between 6.30 and 8 um, uh, in the morning and then between somewhere between 3.30 and 5 in the afternoons. 
And uh, those fast channels are Roku, Plex, and TCL TV. Now, if you want to watch it on demand so you can see what you want to see when you want to see it, you can subscribe to True Blue, which is at watchtrueblue.com. Watch, T-R-U-B-L-U, watchtrueblue.com. That's a four ninety nine a month. It's like next to nothing. It's not like it's Netflix or something crazy. But a lot of great content on there, including our takedown with chris hansen show tons of great documentaries and true crime stories as well as my strictly speaking interview program so anyway there's there's the shameless plug yesterday's guest was joel gilbert who is an author and a uh, filmmaker who has uh, written and made a film uh, of the same title which is um, uh, michelle obama 2024 he has been predicting since early last year when he started that book and made that uh made that film that Joe Biden is not going to make it. Now, he's not unique there. A lot of people have said Joe Biden's not going to make it to the, uh, uh, to the uh, uh, re-election in, in November. Um, and he made the call a long time ago that it will be Michelle Obama. He is standing by that call even now, even as Joe Biden continues his campaigning, such as it is. But I asked him on my TV program, why Michelle Obama? And what can you tell me about Michelle Obama? And um, what he what he has to say here is kind of striking because it's it's pretty damning of what he calls the most popular woman in the world. He really believes Michelle Obama is the most popular woman in the world, certainly in the United States, and would be a very form- formidable opponent because people don't know who she is and what she is. So, uh, Seth, I'm going to try to play this, and you let me know if it if it is loud enough. Hopefully, hopefully it will be. And in fact. Race relations were, were excellent in, um, in 2008 when Obama was elected. Seventy percent of both blacks and whites said race relations were positive. I grew up in Tennessee in the South in the 70s, and black and white kids were all friends. There was never, never heard the N-word, never any racial issues at all. And then the Obamas created a racial issue to inflame the black community for politics, so, such that when, Obama's, when the Obamas left the White House, the statistics had flipped. Only 30% of blacks and whites thought race relations were good. So the Obamas ruined race relations in order to further uh, their political ambitions. And that's uh, been something that I think I demonstrate how the black community was was used and played uh, by the Obamas. And Michelle Obama continues to try to play them with her phony stories of racial discrimination and uh, all the uh, the things she's doing to gain their political support. She wants blacks to think, I'm just one of these ordinary black folks. She doesn't want them to know that as a kid, she was rejected by the black community because she acted white and talked white, and she doesn't want to know how much she exploited them in her career in Chicago. So I want to get into a lot more detail on that, but before we get into, you know, you describe... Michelle Obama as having created a cynical and highly effective false narrative of her life story based on gender and race. Uh, And then, you know, you get into some of the specifics you just kind of touched on now. But let me get to the title. It's Michelle Obama 2024. You think she's going to run for president. When you wrote this and made this movie last year, there was still a chance. I actually saw another interview you did in which you talked about her getting filing in November and getting just under the wire to get into the primaries and so on and so forth. But, of course, that didn't happen. So we're heading into February now. For her to actually be a candidate, something else has to give. She can't just declare and run into these primaries. That means Joe Biden is going to have to step aside and the DNC is going to have to appoint somebody if 
that is what happens. Tell me how, what's her path to being a candidate, or is that by the wayside now? No, I think she has a clear path. Uh, nobody wants Joe Biden on the Democrat side. The down-ballot Democrats are afraid he'll drag down the ticket. Every single category, women, men, minorities, suburban, rich, poor, nobody wants Joe Biden. I mean, we, when he ran for president, he said he would be a transitional candidate just to try to beat Trump, and he would step aside anyway. Uh, but his, he's got a terrible record on the economy, on the border, internationally. Uh, the corruption of him and his family is coming out. He'll likely be impeached by the House uh, for taking bribes from our adversaries. So everything is going downhill for Biden, and the Democrats just don't want him. So I think there's a scenario that sometime in the late spring or early summer, could go all the way to the convention, that Biden will be told that he has to step aside for the good of the country to make sure that they put up someone that beats Trump. And the way it works is if a candidate drops out or dies after he gets the majority of the delegates, the delegates become irrelevant, and the Democrat National Committee is the one that votes on the, the nominee, 200 people. And obviously, the request would be for Michelle Obama to reluctantly, you know, agree to bring the country back together again, because remember how much you love the Obama. How do they, how do they Joel, how do they bypass the vice president? Uh, I think uh, I, I hear this question a lot from, from white people who interview me. They don't understand that uh, Kamala Harris has uh, no following. She was such a poor politician. She didn't make it to the first primary when she ran for president. She has no uh, connection to the black community. Kamala Harris is not African-American. Her mother's from India and her father's from Jamaica. And Kamala grew up in Canada. So she has no common experiences, nothing in common with, with black Americans whatsoever. So I, I think Kamala will be completely ignored. Nobody cares what she thinks. She has no one that cares about her political future because she has proved to be such a weak and uh, ineffective vice president. So I don't think she's an issue at all. So that's uh, just a small taste of the interview. These interviews that I do on Strictly Speaking are at least hour-long interviews, uh, almost in every case. Uh, these are deep dives into some very, very serious stuff. And Joel and I really got into the part about M Michelle Obama rejecting the black community, specifically when she was a child, when she was growing up, when she went into college, and when she met Barack. Uh, she was so not a part of the black community. They did not like her. They referred to her as an Oreo, meaning she was brown on the outside or dark on the outside or black on the outside, but real white on the inside. Uh, all of these kinds of things were, were said about her. And the reason it matters now, as Kirsten, I was just saying, she will be a force if they decide to replace Biden with her. And we're going to have to start the process of vetting who and what Michelle Obama really is. Now, the hard part is going to be recognizing the reality that Michelle Obama brings with her Barack Obama. And Barack Obama's already been vetted. Everybody knows who Barack Obama is, what Barack Obama did, what he did well, what he didn't do well, and so forth. Um, and he's still beloved in not just the Democrat circles, but in a lot of moderate circles as well. Shocking as that may be, and the can or those who uh, are thinking about Michelle Obama as a candidate are going to be thinking it's a package deal. It's going to be the, another term of Obama, and that popularity is going to carry her a long way. So, if you're a Trump supporter, a Republican supporter, a conservative supporter, you better be you better be awake about this. Not woke, but awake, and realize that it's February. 
By the time we get to July, it may no longer be Trump v. Biden, the rematch. It may be Trump v. Obama. Uh, And yes, it would be Michelle at the top of the ticket, but Barack Obama, as the first gentleman, would be running the show again. So you better pay attention. Speaking, like I said, you can watch that interview. It'll uh, air again today, uh, shortly after 3, 3, 3, 34 o'clock. It's uh, on streaming channels. Um, by the way, it, you know, on fast channels, it isn't like top of the hour, bottom of the hour like networks. It always, doesn't always start right on the top or bottom of the hour. It starts sometimes mid-hour. So check that out on uh, Roku, Plex, or on uh, TCL TV. Okay, to the phones we go. Jason in Brunswick. Welcome to AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, Jason. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking my call again. I spoke with you last week after you had O'Malley on. Yes. Oh, yeah, and, uh, I recall. Mm-hmm. I just want to, I want for, for continuing to beat this drum on this, I want to commend you for it because, again, it's still the biggest issue going on locally, okay? Oh, um, me. I'm going to be pounding this drum between now and March 19th repetitively, I promise you. But go ahead. Very good. So, you know, everything's tied together. Whether anyone wants to admit it or not, uh, this, this octopus has many tentacles. And all of the things that you just talked about, uh, fit into kind of what I wanted to bring up. So I want to talk about on, and I want to talk about Obama. But what I really want to talk about first is something called regionalism. And we're starting to hear this word a lot more. Um, back in 2014, the Cleveland police had to reform its uh, no-chase policy, if you recall, after the 137 shots nonsense or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, not long after that, 2016, started having some problems out in Strongsville. Uh, there were some smash-and-grab robberies with ATMs, carjackings. Um, I think there was a guy that got shot on the highway out there for trying to ram the police with his van. Uh, Cleveland.com started calling for uh, a regional approach to a policing policy. Um, so I wanted to bring that up, the idea that they've been calling for regional policing of the area for quite some time. Um, after 2016, they, they did that. And then back in, in 2019, Cleveland.com also ran an article, a series of them. It was called A Way Forward 2030. And it covered uh, Minneapolis, St. Louis, and, uh, in, and Indianapolis. Uh, what they were talking about is pretty much doing a countywide approach to uh, land use and tax sharing. So, you know, deep down, um, I'm watching. I'm watching our county executive here. Uh, you know, if you look at things I told you last week about the uh, Democrat caucus uh, and, and the tactics that they used to steal the endorsement from Michael O'Malley, a lot of those same tactics are being used uh, with NOACA, our regional uh, our regional planning agency, mm-hmm. um, to, to get rid of Grace Gallucci as the as the uh, executive director. So. There's one person that comes to mind uh, when I think about all this, mm-hmm. and that, man, that man's name is Chris Ronan. And mm. <clears throat> Ronan is slated to be the president of NOACA last year, or next year, I'm sorry, followed by Justin Bibb uh, the following year. Now, you look at the way that Ronan's talked about regionalism, uh, you can go online, uh, and, and I encourage everyone to go check out his videos uh, back in 2009, 2010, where he's speaking to a NOACA audience about regionalism and pretty much scolding them for letting people leave Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. So so go check those out. Check out this Away Forward 2030 uh, on com. Those are good. You can check out the other stuff I talked about too with the police and the regionalism. So this is this is a this is a matter of giving regional control to 
Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, not just Cuyahoga mm-hmm. County, but the, the five counties uh, that NOACA controls. Uh, one more quick thing, and I know I'm taking a long time, so I apologize, but Justin Bibb, Michael Ahn, okay? Where do you see them when they're posted on social media? They're never out working with the trade unions. They're not doing anything with that. They're posing at Starbucks, trying to unionize Starbucks, okay? Who's, who's behind that? That's the SEIU. Now, you, you brought up Obama. Now, Obama credited the SEIU for getting him elected in 2008. He held a special meeting or conference uh, as a thank you to the SEIU for getting him elected. Um, you, you'll see the signs that Bib and, and both Bib and Ahn are holding when, when they're out there uh, looking to unionize the Starbucks. It's all in the SEIU colors. It's the SEIU font. So they're on board with that. I believe Bib was an intern for Obama, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you can take that back to Andy, yeah. Andy Stern was the president of the SEIU when Obama was running. Uh, he was working hand-in-hand with China and Walmart. So you can, you can check this cascade. It, comes, it, it starts back then, and, and, and it's all the same players. It's China, it's Obama, it's the SEIU, and, and, and they're working regionally to take this stuff over one, one, one area at a time. So, so I'm going to repeat myself like I said the other day as well. well. Me, yeah. look, at, look at who's supporting on. Go back and look at who's supporting him, because there are people that are running for Congress right now that are on board with this progressive caucus. You've got to familiarize yourself with who these people are. And if this dies on the vine, good. But those people are not going away. So that's it. Well, very okay. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. With respect to NOAC, I can promise you we are on it. <clears throat> We're going to be talking with um, Skip Claypool, former Geauga County Commissioner, about it. He is one of the uh, most knowledgeable and staunch opponents of what NOAC has done and is doing. Uh, we're going to talk to him coming up. We almost had a conversation with him a couple of weeks ago. We ended up having a double booking. But we're going to get him on again, along with Jonathan Broadbent and some others who are very, very influential on that issue. And uh, you're right, by the way. Even if Ahn is defeated, those who are backing and supporting him are not going away. They're going to try a lot of other things in a lot of other ways to to increase and gain their power. So uh, the way forward... Um, uh, the 2030, you know, that you talked about is all very good stuff as well. Hopefully people will familiarize themselves with that. So thank you, Jason. Very informative call. Nathan is in Parma. Hi, Nathan. Go right ahead. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Good morning. See, um, I'm in full agreement that yeah, Biden, they're going to pull him at the last minute and insert Michelle Obama. And guess who I think is going to be Michelle Obama's vice president choice? Who do you think? Her husband. And according uh, I, don't, to, I don't think he's eligible, is he? Because if, uh, yeah. if you're a vice president yeah. and you've already been a president, you can't get, uh, you can't, well, I get, no, it just says you can't get elected twice. Maybe he could. According to the Constitution, a twice before elected president may become vice president either through appointment or through election. And like any other vice president, may therefore succeed from that office to the presidency. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say what the Constitution says is you cannot be elected uh, more than two times, but you can indeed serve more than two times if you are, for example, in the line of succession, uh, serving in another position. So that would be interesting. Um, and, you know, and, you know, it would... Oh, it would absolutely, it would absolutely, it would, it would completely unify any Democrats. Uh, it would, it would inspire the moderates and everybody else that continues to look back with, look, if you look at what, what, um, 
what social media says about the Obama presidency to this very day. You know, eight years, no scandals. They whitewash every single thing that Barack Obama did and was responsible for and try to remember those as the glory years of no scandals, no drama, or any of the stuff that followed Trump and and, and, and all of the rest. They remember the, the Obama years as if they were some sort of glorious time. And you better believe that an Obama-Obama ticket going going back at it again would be... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Trump or anybody else could possibly stand up to that. Yeah, scary, scary thought. Thanks. It Bob. is a scary thought. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. When I interviewed um, Joel about this, and I talked to somebody else about this too, and I can't remember who, but they were saying that no, um, Barack Obama would be better as first gentleman and just be given tasks to carry out by the president. Again, he would be actually running it, but from an optic standpoint, Michelle Obama, the commander in chief and the president executive, blah, 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 just like the first lady is given certain responsibilities and so forth, uh, you know, in each administration, that Obama would be better working behind the scenes than as an official uh, appointed, you know, position or elected position like vice president. And that there would best be an executive, somebody who has been an executive uh, in that spot, uh, and that it might be Gavin Newsom, that a Michelle Obama top, Gavin Newsom second on the ticket, and Barack Obama as first gentleman would be their little dream team of progressivism. So that's just a thought. Like I said, I'm not sure how that looks. I hadn't considered Obama Obama uh, 2024, having Barack as the vice president. But it is something that we have to be considering and thinking about. And the sad thing is, truthfully, and it's 1126, we'll take a time out here. The sad thing is, even if we consider it, even if we vet, even if we uncover, even if we remind and go back and look at all of the scandals and all of the things that were involved with the Obama uh, presidency, it won't matter. It won't matter because the media will present this as the second coronation. And no one will be able to push back against it because CRT, because DEI, because how dare you criticize a black family uh, coming back uh, to continue the green CVS or a store near you. Among the uninformed, always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. That's a that's uh, a very frightening proposition, isn't it? The question I had not considered. I um, I I really, I really don't know if there is a way to beat that ticket if it came down to it. If the placards said Obama, Obama twenty four. You know, as in Trump, Pence, 24, as in Romney, Ryan, you know, and so forth. Uh, Obama, Obama, 24. I don't know who beats that. I don't know if Ronald Reagan could beat that. I don't know if Donald Trump can beat that. I don't know if anybody could beat that. Given the state of America today. With the race relations being what they are, which you're in the toilet, in large part because, as Joel Gilbert said in that clip that I played, because of the way Obama ran the country starting in 2008, back in 2008 or before 2008, 70% of Americans felt like the country 
was had had good race relations. They were happy. They were satisfied with them. Seventy percent. That's significant. By the time Barack Obama was done in 2016, it was down to 30%. Black Americans will flee, will flock to the polls because their hero is back, along with his wife. They'll flip their, their roles a little bit, but they're both going to run it again. White guilt-carrying liberals will be so thrilled that they can cast their virtue-signaling vote, vote for a black female. Moderates will want to make sure that they are on the right side of history, as they like to say. I don't know if there's any way to stop that. I find myself sitting here right now pondering this in real time, hoping that Joe Biden regains some of his cognitive function so that they don't replace him. Because Joe Biden is eminently beatable. I don't know if a Michelle Obama, Barack Obama ticket would be. If that's the way it all played out. Wow. That is, I mean, I'm literally thinking about this in real time. I hadn't planned any of this conversation. Maybe you're doing the same, but wow. Um, let's go to um, Greg in Cleveland. Hello, Greg. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Hello again. Hello again, sir. How are you? I'm good, Greg. What's on your mind? I find it very interesting, very, very interesting. When I call your show, I give you facts and not spin. Okay. That the person that you want to be president of the United States is just found not to be immune from prosecution. It's all over the news media. And none of your shows, your right-wing shows, Newsmax, Fox are talking about it. You know what they're talking about? The border. But this is the person you said is the best president in the world since whoever. But you're not talking about it. You don't have to worry about Michelle Obama or the Obamas. A half-dead Joe Biden is going to win because he's going to be in jail. And none of you are talking about it. You're just deflecting it to the border and all this and this border, this border, this border. He's going to be in jail. So you need to think about who's going to replace him. It's going to be the second person you're going to nominate for president of the United States because it's not Trump. And the icing on the cake is if the Supreme Court declares that he's cannot be on a ballot, that's icing on the cake. So he's going to lose his freedom and he's going to lose his platform. And none of y'all talking about it. So I, I, I find that very amazing that you're not well, talking about him. Well, Greg, I'll tell you what. I hope that you and the rest of the leftists and Marxists in this country have that same take-for-granted attitude over the course of the next nine months, because then you will be even more beatable than you already are. Donald Trump is not going to jail. Donald Trump is not going to be kicked off of a ballot. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee, and he's going to get another 75 million votes. The only hope you have is if you have Michelle or Barack, Michelle and Barack or Michelle and whomever with Barack as first gentleman that can get 76 million, because that is the reality of the situation. But I hope you take it for granted. I'm glad to hear your call, and I thank you for that call. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I hope leftists all over this country are thinking, Trump's Trump's able to be prosecuted in this one case, by the way, for which he claimed uh, immunity. And by the way, you do realize that that is not the be all final end all word 
about whether or not you have uh, immunity as president of the United States. This is going to be appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is going to have the final say. So you're acting as if the game is over because you scored two points at the beginning of the fourth quarter, which is kind of hilarious. But I'm glad. I hope you're really, really excited, and I hope you guys are really, really happy, and I hope you really think that Donald Trump is no longer a factor. Because when you do, and this is what they did from the moment he came down the escalator, he's not a factor. Are you kidding? That's a joke. That guy? Same way in the debates. I remember Bill Maher's television show in which... They were asking all of the panelists who they think the GOP nominee was going to be. And this is back when it was Rubio and Jeb and Cruz and Carson and Carly Fiorina and all of these people. And over there down at the end, Donald Trump. And I remember Ann Coulter said Trump. And they laughed her out of the building. Nobody saw him coming. Nobody thought it was real. Nobody thought he'd have a following. And it's that underestimation of Trump that gives Trump his power. And that's when he comes up and smacks you in the face and laughs his way into the Oval Office. So I hope you guys think that it's all over but the shouting, that Donald Trump won't be there and we're going to have to find somebody else. I hope you really, really keep that attitude for the next, uh, the next nine months because that will be exactly what we need to make sure that we can stop this madness that you guys have created. And oh, by the way, yes, we're talking about the border because it is literally leading to the death and the destruction of this glorious republic. That is what illegal immigration is doing. Yanina in University Heights, next. Hi, Yanina, go right ahead. Yes, it's finally me. I work for Trump, and I'm not Greg because I'm Yanina, and I'm a Trump supporter. I would like to give you, first of all, thank you for letting me talk. Okay, I know it's your show, wonderful show, I love it. Thank you. Okay, I'm talking about the guy, Neville Roy Sinham. Neville Roy Sinham. It was an article in New York Times on November 16. He is doing Chinese propaganda. He, had a, he has a good company, and now he's doing propaganda consulting company. He was in charge of it, and he's also with his wife, Jordi Evans, they together doing everything, everything against Israel, and he's spreading all over the world on the global web of Chinese propaganda. He is leading it. What is his name again, Yanina? I don't think I heard you because you have a bit of an accent. So help me out here. Okay, okay. Last name is S S I N G H A M. Archibald Sinham. Archibald Sinham, Neville Roy, his first name Neville, second Roy, Sinham, he's the last name, S-I-N-G-H-A-M. Okay. He had a consulting company in America, he's born in this country, and his wife is Jody Evans. They both are Democrats, and he's, oh, he's a billionaire, he's a mogul, and he's destroying all the, the, the leftist propaganda against America. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.